The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Thanks for the welcome. Uh, great to be with you here today and to launch this new series on the story of Gideon, which I absolutely love. He's an amazing story of some painful tragedy in his life and then a bit of comedy, as we'll see when God comes to him, and then an amazing victory towards the end of the series. We'll see how God takes this man out of the hole he had found himself in and raise him up on a hill to blow a trumpet and to win a great victory for the Lord. But the reason I love this story is because... Whilst we often focus on that end result, the sort of finished product, if you like, there's so much failure and self-doubt and anxiety along the way, isn't there? And we often skip over that. But this series is going to show us that God does extraordinary things through very ordinary people, people like us. And Gideon illustrates that perhaps better than anyone else in the Bible. But before we get into the Bible, I want to show you how that's actually still true in our culture today. People who actually baked into their story is a lot of pain, failure, feelings of inadequacy have done great things. So I've got a little quiz for you. Are you up for a quiz? Yeah. Well, we're doing it anyway, frankly. So <laughs> the three of you are up for it. You're, that's great. But the rest of you, is everyone else up for a quiz? All right. Now, on the screen, you can see six names. I'm going to read them out. Um, and then uh, I'm going to read out some statements. And I want you to try and match the statement to the name. They're not as, uh, as, as obvious as you might think. So Malala Yousafzai, uh, Albert Einstein, Elon Musk, J.K. Rowling, Bill Gates, and Walt Disney. All right, who, who, who is each of these statements? First up, uh, who is this? I got hurt in a violent marriage. I was a jobless single parent, as poor as can be. I tried writing stories, but got turned down by 12 publishers. 
It is J.K. Rowling. Who would have thought she's now sold 600 million books, which is not bad. Uh, anyway, who's this? I was too small to defend myself. The bullies pushed me down a flight of stairs, and I still can't breathe properly because of the injuries I sustained on that day. Elon Musk. Ooh, someone down here is sharp. All right, Elon Musk. Come on, the rest of you. I got into a great university and then dropped out. I founded a new business and it bombed. Bill Gates. Yeah, that's right. All right. I could not speak fluently until I was nine years old. I was expelled from school and then refused a place at college because I was not smart enough. Albert Einstein, yeah, wouldn't you love to be that person or meet that person who told Albert Einstein, we don't think you're quite clever enough to come to our college. <laughs> I dropped out of school and joined the army. I was fired from a newspaper job for not being creative enough. Again, who got to tell Walt Disney that he wasn't creative enough? I love it. And then, obviously, by process of elimination, this is Malala's story. The person, she was the youngest ever person to win the Nobel Peace Prize. I was forbidden from having an education. When I spoke up for female rights, they shot me in the head. Extraordinary, isn't it? These people have been through some of the toughest experiences, the biggest setbacks, the being told in J.K. Rowling's time 12 times, we're not interested, you're no good at writing. You know, all of these things, we often focus on the success at the end of the biography, but there's incredible moments of self-doubt and imposter syndrome, of feeling that you're not up to it. Uh, that come earlier on in the journey. And we're going to see with Gideon, he was one of those people, very ordinary, just like you and me, never quite believed that God could use someone like him, but God went and did it anyway. And that's the encouragement of this series. I think if you were to write this kind of, this kind of sentiment for Gideon, maybe it would go something like this. You see on the screen, I was a coward hiding in a hole from the wrong family and without a CV. I lived with anxiety and a lot of self-doubt. That was Judge Gideon in the 13th century BC. But God decided to use him precisely because God can show his strength and his glory through our weakness and failure. So if that encourages you, let this series be one big encouragement to step up into what God's calling us to because God is able to do extraordinary things through very ordinary people. Now I'm going to unpack this uh, this morning. That's the, that's the big series introduction. I'm going to unpack just this first uh, message by looking at a couple of points from the reading we've had. Firstly, that our starting point, uh, sorry, no, let me say that again. Our low point, our low point can be God's starting point. This is the first thing to note. And this is about the backstory. Before we get into the story of Gideon, we need to understand the backstory of Israel at this moment in time. And um, you notice the reading came from the book of Judges, Judges 6. Well, Judges is this low point in Israel's history. Uh, and within the book of Judges, there are several even lower points, um, as we'll see. So come over with me to the board, and I'm going to show you one of my weaknesses, <laughs> which is drawing. Uh, but, uh, but only just to sort of make a point. You may have seen me do this before, but I, I'm a visual learner. I like to see the whole Bible as one big story. And the good thing about it is it's got a beautiful symmetry. We start with the tree of life, the first creation. And the whole story ends with a tree of life. The beauty of a new creation is just a bit messy in the middle, right? Um, and uh, that particular mess in the middle in the Old Testament um, takes the story of Israel down and then back up again to Egypt, right? If this is the, uh, the period of Egypt, whereas uh, Joseph, Joe, we'll put there, that's meant to be Joe, Joseph uh, takes God's people down into Egypt 
Mo, Moses, brings God's people back up again 400 years later, all right? And there's a nice little bit of symmetry here, actually, because the land that they return to is the very land that God promised to Joseph's great-grandfather, Abraham. Through your offspring, all peoples on earth are going to be blessed. But after they enter the promised land through Joshua, it's here that we find the story of Gideon in what's known as the time of the judges. And I like to illustrate the time of the judges as this continual cycle. Israel stuck in negative cycles. And each of these cycles, there's multiple cycles in the book of Judges, they keep going around on a loop. But each of them has the same, roughly the same pattern. Firstly, there is sin. God's people turn away from following him. And as a result of that, God brings a form of judgment. Normally, that the, God's people become overrun by one of their enemies. So then they cry out to God for help. Did you hear this in our reading? They cry out to God because they're overrun, in this case, by the Midianites. And then he brings rescue. God brings rescue, but in the form of a judge. This is where Gideon fits in. There are many judges. They are not law court judges, but they are anointed spiritual leaders uh, like Gideon. And out of their um, rescue, the land has peace again, only to find that um, Israel just keeps then looping back in this same cycle. And as you read through the book of Judges, it actually becomes this sort of horrible downward spiral. Uh, towards the end. But Judges 6, my point is, this is where we pick up the story of Gideon. All right, Gideon fits in to the time of the judges and in particular to a low point within one of these spirals or cycles that are negative for Israel. It's when Israel is overrun by the Midianites that God first calls um, Gideon. We read in, uh, in verse 2 of the passage from uh, chapter 6 of Judges, we read that because the power of, the Midian, of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. In other words, these God's people... On the very mountains that had been captured so brilliantly by Joshua and Caleb and earlier generations, on those very hills, the hills of Judah, God's people are now living in holes. They're living in a state of defeat. And this has been going on for some time. I mean, seven years, we're told, that they are at the mercy of the Midianites. God's people thought maybe this would just be a sort of temporary compromise. They'd have to just move out of their homes and hide away in caves It's seven years later now, and that's still where they're at. They're still in this low point of defeat. And it's incredible, isn't it, how we can get used to things that are not meant to be normal. (laughs) Cycles, negative cycles in our own lives, patterns of defeat to sin or to cycles of compromise, and we find ourselves almost getting used to it. You know, seven years later, they're still in their holes, probably telling their kids, you know, this is just the way it is. There's nothing we can do. The Midianites have got camels. Uh, Israelites don't. And if you've ever got up close and personal with a camel, they're pretty frightening beasts, don't you think? (laughs) So they've got camels. We haven't. There's nothing we can do. Don't rock the boat. This is the status quo for now. This is how God's people are living. And it's into that low point that God brings a new starting point. Isn't this the truth about God? He is able to take our low points and make them a starting point for change. And I don't know about you, but as we look, not so much I'm talking here about Kingsgate now, but as we look at the wider Western church, the Christianity in the West, we are at something, I think, of a low point, it's fair to say. We have been increasingly, the voice of Christianity, the the truth of Scripture has been increasingly marginalised, 
and trivialized. It's no longer thought to be a credible part of schools. We don't, you know, the, 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 big, the big boys, the big boys of big tech and the media moguls would say, you know, you don't belong in Hollywood, you don't belong in Westminster. Stay in your holes of little churches tucked away doing nothing important and we'll run the world, you know? And actually that, that narrative has brought us to a low point, but I believe that it is time for change. And I think God is on the move to bring about change. I actually think in that sense, you know, I think in that sense, there's two different ways you can tell the story of Christianity. Either you can think of it as a frown. You know, we, we used to have, this is, this is Christianity, right? We used to have a high point, you know, let's say in the 17th century, I don't know, wherever you'd put it. You used to have a high point of, of influence in the 16th, 17th century, the Protestant Reformation. But ever since then, we've been declining down. And I don't know where we are now, you know, the 20th, 21st century. But basically, this is the story. You used to be influential, but actually the whole Christian thing, we don't need that anymore. The big boys run the world and uh, Christianity is a marginalized thing. But actually, what if that's not the way things are going? What if actually, yes, we have reached something of a low point, but what if actually that's because God is about to bring about a new starting point, a new place of influence and opportunity for Christians to speak up, not so much that our future is a frown, but our future is a smile of promise that God is on the move with his church. Now, I'm not just saying this to be encouraging, because obviously we'd prefer a smile to a frown on a Sunday morning, wouldn't we? I'm not just saying it to be encouraging. I actually believe this is happening. And, and on the one hand, yes, some aspects of Christianity, particularly those that have compromised with the culture and tried to strip Christianity of everything that seems strange or offensive to the culture and make it as placable and as innocent as possible, yes, that form of Christianity will die away. For that kind of Christianity, there is only a frown. But where Christians have held to the truth, where we're prepared to stand for what actually can transform people's lives with hope and meaning, I believe that actually we are on the beginning of an upturn, that we are finding that God is going to make increasingly a new starting point out of our low point. A friend of mine, uh, Justin Briley, who some of you may know, he used to run a great talk show as a great host, speaking with Christians but also with skeptics and atheists, He's just releasing a new book actually in September, which I've had a a sneak preview of, called The Surprising Rebirth of Belief in God. And this is just telling the story actually of what's really happening, which is that some quite prominent thought-provoking thought leaders in our culture are recognizing that in the Christian story, there is hope and meaning that we cannot throw out. And I love the analogy that is used in this, in, 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 within the book, but it doesn't belong to Justin, but analogy of the tide going out. You know, many told us the tide of faith has gone out. But actually, what if that tide is beginning to come in again? What if the tide has turned and actually our culture will increasingly need to know the hope, the smile of God's favor and the hope and the meaning that Christianity alone can bring? Well, here's the point. Our low point can be God's starting point. That was true at the time of the judges, and I believe it's true today. And I don't just speak of this on the big canvas of Western culture. I'm talking also at the smallest detail of our lives. Maybe you also this morning find yourself in something of a hole. Like Gideon, hiding away in a hole, a financial hole of trouble, a relationship hole, just a spiritual hole, a low point you've reached in your own journey with God. Maybe you're not yet a Christian. You don't know the hope that Jesus brings and you've dug yourself into a hole. Listen, what if your low point today could be a new starting point? 
That's the offer. That's the hope that Jesus brings to every one of us. So that's the first thing when it comes to the story of Gideon. Our low point is God's starting point for us individually and for us as a church corporately. But then the second thing as we move more directly into the story of Gideon is that our weakness can become our strength. Here's, as we get into the story, here's where God confronts Gideon for the first time down in a hole, threshing wheat in a winepress, as we'll see in a moment. And here's the thing that is intriguing. He, God comes to Gideon when Israel is facing such a catastrophe. They are overrun by the Midianites who have these camels, these great new technology as tanks, you know. God is needing to raise up a leader who can sort out a real crisis. And you would think he would choose one of the gifted and talented, wouldn't you? You'd think God would find one of those natural-born leaders, brave and courageous to the end. And instead, we read this, and I love the way God picks his team. It is not the way we used to pick our team for football in the playground, frankly. The angel of the Lord, uh, we read in verse 11, came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah, that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Can you feel the sort of paradox here, the the, the slight comedy of this moment? And I don't mean comedy because God is having a, a, a joke at Gideon's expense. I mean comedy because God can see something that Gideon will become that is so far removed from who he actually is at this moment in time. And that's, I mean, I I don't believe God does sarcasm or ridicule, but I believe God's got a sense of humour. Do you? And I think sometimes his sense of humour is provoked by us because he knows who we are and he's foreseen what we will be. And the difference between those two is funny, quite frankly. (laughs) Certainly in the case of Gideon it was. Here's this guy. He's threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now, you don't need to know all the details of agriculture, not least because I don't, so I couldn't tell you if I did, but threshing wheat is something you do in a wide open space. The idea of wheat is that it's got chaff, the lightweight husks, uh, sorry, the, the heavy husks of wheat need to be separated from the lightweight chaff. So you take it into a wide open space where the wind is blowing through and you throw it high in the air and it separates, but the chaff will be blown a bit further on by the wind, so you get a pile of chaff over here and you get your wheat here and job done. You can go and make bread or whatever it is you have planned. Threshing wheat is a wide open space, but wine press is something quite different. You can see a picture on the screen here of a a wine press that's been discovered in, in Israel today. And you can see that it's a hole in the ground because the grapes would have been put down in the hole and then barefoot they would have trampled on the grapes, squeezing out the juice which then flowed out into a channel and was collected off. My point is, what a contradiction to be doing the thing that you're meant to do in a big wide open public space down in a hole in the ground. But this is Gideon. He is a living contradiction. He is full of anxiety and fear and self-doubt and it's driving him to do things that don't even really make sense. He's just digging himself, if you like, more into a hole by trying to fix problems that he can't resolve. Does that sound familiar? Are we not also prone to this? As we look at Gideon, are we not also sometimes looking in the mirror? How many of us are stubbornly digging ourselves deeper into a hole because we're trying to fix things we cannot fix out of fear and anxiety and self-doubt? This is Gideon when God comes and meets him and God stands over him, the angel of the Lord, this representation of God and he stands over Gideon and he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. That's the comedy. 
What an amazing calling out of a prophetic vision for this broken man's life that one day, actually, he will go from living in a hole to standing on a hill and blowing a trumpet for the Lord. He will become that mighty warrior, but he could not possibly have seen it at the time. I wonder what God has seen in us that we could not possibly see at this moment in time. I wonder what adventures he's got for us, what things we will find ourselves doing in the future that we would not dare to have imagined would be possible. This is the God that we serve. He can do extraordinary things through very ordinary people. I remember for myself a little bit of this story because when I was in my teenage years and late teenage years, I was a Christian. Genuinely, I believed in Christ and I used to go to church on Sundays, but I did not want anyone to know this at school. I was a coward. I I hated the idea that people would ridicule me for being a Christian, so I hid it from them. And uh, one particular occasion always stays in my mind. I may have shared this this before, but I remember getting off the coach with my friends, the the school coach, and the driver was obviously a Christian, and he was giving out leaflets to a Christian youth event as we got off. And my friends, when they realized it was Christian, they screwed it up in front of the driver, threw it back on the floor, and said some horrible words. And then they looked at me. What would I do? with probably their suspicions about where I was quite still on this. And so I did exactly what they did. I screwed it up, threw it on the floor, and said exactly what they'd said. And I still, to be honest, I still struggle to remember that, that thought of denying my faith in Jesus. But a few weeks after that, um, I was off school ill, genuinely ill, right? Not bunking, but genuinely ill. <laughs> And I was, um, I was off school ill, and one of the leaders of the church that I was going to, God so clearly spoke to him that not knowing I was off school ill, he came to our house because he felt that he had a word for me. And he couldn't understand this because he thought I'd be at school. I was off school ill. And I remember him kneeling down by the sofa where I was lying. And this, this uh, leader in the church called Ray, he said to me, I believe God uh, is saying to you, you need to study the Bible and learn how other people communicate it because you're one day going to be a big, bold preacher of God's word. <laughs> Now, <laughs> yeah, you may applaud now, but I was not clapping Ray right then, I'll tell you that, right? To where I was at that moment in time, the way I was relating to my Christian faith at that point, that seemed ridiculous, and it seemed scary ridiculous. But God is able to do extraordinary things through very fearful, anxious, ordinary people. And I want to encourage you, wherever you're at right now, God can do extraordinary things if We're prepared to reach out and let him help us out of the hole we've dug ourselves into. God can do extraordinary things. Amen. The first message I, um, the first big bold message I ever did speak actually was not in a church context. It was in my economics class. (laughs) And I'll never forget that either. It was a few months on from that message that, that Ray spoke to me. But I remember, you know, he sometimes teaches at the end of, of school. They sort of run out of things to do, don't they? So they sort of say, let's play hangman or whatever. You know, if you're a teacher, you know what I'm talking about. Our economics teacher, he said, well, why don't we all go around the class and everyone can tell. I think this was the last day of our, of our, of our, um, of our sixth form. And he said, why don't you, you can all tell us, some, everyone can say something they think everyone else should know. And I think I was like the third person to go and nobody else got a turn. <laughs> I was so, by that time, I'd become full of the Holy Spirit and my fear had lifted off and I spent the rest of the economics class, I even went up on the whiteboard, I was even drawing pictures back then and explained to my economics class, the very, some of the lads in that were the people I'd screwed that little leaflet up on the floor, I explained to them why I believed in Jesus. Uh, that was the first talk I ever gave and it, it's a reminder, God can do things through very anxious, fearful, doubting people if we'll let him. 
Now, how did Gideon respond to God's call? Just very briefly. Well, he didn't exactly jump out of his hole and say, let's go for this. <laughs> Gideon wasn't like that, right? So the Lord says in verse 12, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, verse 13, Gideon replies, pardon me, my Lord. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our ancestors told us about? Isn't that interesting that Gideon's response to God's call, let's go and take on the Midianites, is a sense of, but God, where are you? And where are we seeing the evidence of your power at work? I actually think God loves this kind of response. I don't think this is something we should criticize Gideon for. I think this was a heart that was expressing a holy discontent with what they were seeing and a desire for God to break out in a new powerful way. And I don't know about you, I feel this as well, don't you? That in whatever Western Christianity needs, what it needs more than anything else is to see the genuine power and miracles and signs and wonders of God once again. We, do not, we are not going to fix the situation that we've got ourselves into by just more impressive talks and a better arrangement of church. You know, all these things are good, but it is the power of God that we need to see. May that stir up in us a holy discontent. God, do it again. And I believe he is. I'm hearing stories from Kingsgate, from other churches. I think we are. This is my point. I think we are on the up, folks, because I'm hearing more and more that God is on the move, demonstrating that he is alone the one who can get us out of the hole we've got ourselves into. And it'll be by his power, not by might or by power, but by his spirit. I was speaking to someone from the Global South recently, a lady from India, actually. And I was, uh, she'd spent some time in the Western Christian context and I was asking, so what do you, you, know, what do you, what do you see? Because she has a different set of eyes. She sees differently because of that cultural context. And I said, well, what did you experience? And she said, well, well, she said, you have very good Bible teaching. <laughs> and I could tell that she was just being polite. So I sort of pushed her a bit. But I said, but what else do you see? And she said, well, you, you, you Western Christians, you don't pray very much. <laughs> and she said, you don't seem to drive out many demons. And you don't seem to see many miracles, but very good Bible teaching. <laughs> And I just thought, yeah, isn't that a pro provocation that we need? It's not to say we, we want very bad Bible teaching. I'm not going to the other extreme. It's just that along with the great Bible teaching, we need to see the power of God again. We need to have that holy discontent that Gideon had. God, where are the wonders that you've done before? Because it won't be our great Bible teaching that fixes our cultural context. It will be by God's great power. Amen. Now, with all of that in mind, what does God say to Gideon? Go in the strength that you have. Am I not sending you? Three times in this passage, and with this we wrap it up. Three times God says to Gideon, I am with you. And that is the basis upon which our weakness can actually become our strength. Because actually the most unhelpful thing we can have is a false confidence in what we can do. It's when God's people are on their knees that we're actually discovering both the problem, we're on our knees, and the solution, we're crying out to God. It's when our weakness is forefront in our minds that we will turn to God in a new level of reliance that will bring the sort of breakthrough that only he can bring. And I want to encourage us as we reach the end of this message and go into this series, maybe it's time for some of us to stop striving to try and sort things out ourselves and to reach out for help. It's when we reach out for help that our weakness can become God's strength. And that's what's on offer to us this morning. Maybe some of us recognize we are in a bit of a hole, personally speaking.
And so this morning is our opportunity just to reach out to God and say, God, get me out of this mess. And you know what? He's not just going to get us out and put us on the ground and say, there we are. That, that, that particular thing is resolved. God is speaking over some of us today. I see in you a mighty warrior. And if I get you out of the hole that you've dug yourself into, you'll be able to blow the trumpet to help other people in their holes to come out and to experience the freedom and the confidence that the Spirit brings. So it's not just about us today. Our response is not just about us. It's about how we lead our families forward, how we lead our church forward, how we lead our culture forwards. As we respond, things begin to change. God does extraordinary things through very ordinary people. So I want to lead us in a moment of prayerful response. And uh, it may be that you are ready to recognize, yeah, God, I've got myself in a bit of a hole. But hope is not lost. He stand, the angel of the Lord sat over the very hole that Gideon was in and said, right, this low point is going to be our starting point. Let's see this change. And maybe today that's where you're at. So I want to invite you, maybe just to be helpful actually, just to physically just reach up your hand to the Lord. If that's where you're at, just join me now. If you're in a low point and you want things to change and you sense God in this message is speaking hope over your life, but you know it's time to stop digging. Some of us men especially, I just invite you guys, come on. Don't be stubborn and in denial. It's time to recognize that you can't fix the problems you found yourself in. And you do need help. Let's end the stubborn denial and let's reach out for help because our families are needing that. Our workplaces maybe need that too. Guys as well as ladies, reach up for help. And I want to pray over those of us who are reaching up right now. Heavenly Father, thank you that you respond to an outstretched arm. You always do. You you sit over the hole we've got ourselves into and you say, but I am with you. Three times the Lord says, I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. You are not on your own. There's a whole church here that's ready to help as well. So as you reach reach out your hand to the Lord, maybe as well as feeling that hope, there's a moment of just repentance. Just say sorry to the Lord for the ways that you've dug yourself in and not turned to him. Just lift, lift up your hand, but also lift up your heart now and just repent, turn, turn to the Lord and ask for forgiveness. Heavenly Father, I pray over everyone now with their hands lifted, with their hearts lifted to you, acknowledging their own failure, anxiety and doubt. Lord, thank you. That's exactly where Gideon was when you met him. And that's exactly what you can do for us now also. You speak over every one of us. I am with you. And you can and will be a mighty warrior. Lord, would you right now put your hand into those hands that are reaching out to you. By your Holy Spirit, may they feel that you've got hold of them this morning. That this low point is now your starting point for change. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Shall we all stand together and we're going to worship the Lord. As we do so, we're going to declare that we are who he says we are. Gideon was going to become what God said he was, not who he thought he was. As we worship now, let's have that confidence as we worship to say, God, I'm not going to stay who I think I am and who I've decided I will be. I'm believing now that if you are with me, I can be a mighty warrior for you. Let's worship the Lord together.